Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. And we are back to discussing every film adaptation of The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings ever made, including the lesser known ones. And now we're going to discuss um, The Hobbit, um, very short film made by, and what was the director's name? Gene Deitch. That was the director. It was made in the Czech Republic in Prague. Um, it had a cast of one, Herbert Lass. And uh, the producer was William L. Snyder, who uh, also was in the Czech Republic. But uh, these these men were born in the United States. Um, and uh, lived in the Czech Republic. The director actually died in the Czech Republic in 2020. Uh, the producer, uh, he was born in Maryland and he died in New York. But, uh, yes, this was done in the Czech Republic and there certainly were some influences by being in the Czech Republic if you look at the artwork. Yes, like the artwork shit in the city of Dale, it's got a lot of um, spires that look um, a lot like the architecture in Prague in the past, and I think some of it now. Oh, yeah. it Prague is considered the city of spires. And that's certainly how they made Dale look. Uh, this um, film, it's only about 12 minutes long. 11 minutes, 54 seconds to be exact. And you can find it on YouTube as The Hobbit 1966, although it was actually released in 1967. Yes, there's an interesting story behind the release date. Um, it was released June 30th, 1967. And um, the interesting thing about that date is it was the last date that um, Deech had uh, the rights to the um, film. Oh no, I'm sorry, Snyder had the rights to the film. Snyder being the producer. Um, He had bought the rights, but he had bought the rights for a certain time period and Uh, June 30th, 1967 was the end of that time period and they released the film in a small Manhattan projection room and he actually gave people 10 cents each to give back to him as their admission to see the film. And he had them all sign statements that they paid to see a Hobbit film, which allowed Snyder to retain the film rights. And then later on, I don't know the date, 
he sold the rights back to Tolkien for approximately $100,000. So this was his way of, I think, making a little money on this because he didn't make any money really otherwise on this because he paid people to see it. So he got the money back again, but that it's a zero profit, and I don't believe it was that many people. The film remained unknown, actually, to fans until 2012, when... And it still remains unknown to most yeah. fans, to be Well, the director um, wrote about it in his blog, and he stated in his blog that it was produced and released in 66, but subsequent documents confirmed that it actually happened in 67. So, uh... And you're not going to find this on DVD anywhere. You find it on YouTube as The Hobbit 1966. I don't think anybody's going to make a 12-minute long Hobbit DVD. And, um... The director, actually, he lived in the Czech Republic, uh... Since 1959, and he died there in, in 2020, and he actually wrote um, a book, a memoir, um, of his time in Prague called For the Love of Prague, and it was based on his experience being what he called, quote-unquote, the only free American living and working in Prague during 30 years of the Communist Party dictatorship. When he arrived in Prague, uh, the production manager of the studio he had gone to work at uh, was the woman he ended up marrying uh, five years later. And um, this was his second marriage and he has three sons that are artists and writers that write and do work for uh, underground and alternate alternative comics. Yeah, did you find anything on if he produced anything else or um um I anything better known maybe? I do not know of other things. Um <sighs> One of his sons, I guess, has had some notable works. Oh, uh, yeah. Snyder was credited, uh, with some animated films, and he received an Academy Award for the best short film called Munro. Um,. And Snyder had lived in the Czech Republic from the 1960s to 1992. And that award was the first short composed outside of the United States to be so honored. Um, also, uh, the cinematographer was Adolf Born. Music by Vaclav Lytle. Um... 
So, and uh, yeah, the cast was one person, Herbert Lass. Oh yeah, and when I mentioned how um, Snyder had the film rights of Tolkien's work, he had them from 1964 to 1967, uh, and he was with Rembrandt Films. But, yeah, that ended, you know, well, it actually ended be when he sold the rights back to Tolkien, but it was supposed to end June 30th, 1967. Um, let's see. There's one interesting thing about this film, uh, that it's only slightly animated. Yeah, it's, um... Mostly stills. It's stills, and sometimes they might, like, zoom in on a still, or they move to a different still, but... Yeah, they changed the camera movements, and there were some cutouts moved on the screen, but it was really artwork being moved around, or the camera being moved around for the artwork, and they did a very good job. I don't think about it as much... You know that it's just artwork, but it—it—that's it, what it was. And it has a very like storybook sort of feel. Oh, I would agree with that for sure. And one thing I took note of was Bilbo has four fingers in it, which um a lot of cartoon and animated characters have four fingers because it's just easier to draw. Yeah, I'm not saying that the actual number of fingers on a hobbit is probably any different than anyone else. Um, except for Frodo at the end, of course. But Well, yes. But that's not in this one. No, it is not. Now, there also... Um, you need to take note that some of the names have been changed. Um... We'll get to which names would have been changed when we um, go over it. I I wonder what Tolkien thought of that. I, I have a feeling he didn't like that. Well, I wonder if any of his writings or notes or whatever, if he'd written any kind of thing about this particular film. And... You know, maybe he has, but if he has, I don't know about it. Right. But I haven't read every letter of Tolkien, so... Yeah. So getting to the actual f- film itself. So it starts off with the city of Dale in Middle-earth. The city of uh, G- Golden Bells. Before men came to power and ruined magic forever. And as we discussed, it's got a... A very um, Prague-inspired style for how Dale is portrayed. It's got a lot of spires with like different designs at the top that resemble some of the spires that you would see in Prague. Now, the part about before men came to power and ruined magic forever, it appears to be a reference to the end of the Third Age, where it becomes the Fourth Age, the Age of Men, at the end of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And 
Yes, magic was largely gone from Middle-earth and men were in power, but it wasn't specifically that men had ruined it. Mm-hmm. But um, the elves no. were, for the most part, leaving Middle-earth. So with Gandalf, um, all of the wielders of rings, you know, the rings were either destroyed or had... Or being taken across the sea. So the main sources of magic were leaving. But it's not that humans, men had actually destroyed the magic. It just, and it just left as men became somewhat the dominant species there. Yeah. And men had lived in Middle-earth almost all along. It's not like they were newcomers. It was men who lived in Dale. Right. Um, and then it mentions the Arkenstone, the white heart of the mountain, and it shows it looking literally heart-shaped and laying in a sort of hand. It looks like a faceted diamond that's a heart. And I don't know what is with the hand. It sort of reminds me of... Like something you'd display jewelry on, and I think that might be what it was meant to be. Right. And then uh, all is destroyed by the monster lizard Slag the Terrible. Slag, the agent of evil on Earth. So right off, Smaug is no longer Smaug. He's Slag, and he's a lizard. He's big yellow lies. Um, do they ever um use... The word dragon... I think they did. Later. <laughs> they definitely called him a lizard then. Yeah. And he's got all sorts of spots and stripes in different colors and a long neck and a mouthful of teeth. And he's gathering up the jewelry in his arms and he uh, took the Arkenstone. Yeah, he's fire-breathing. He, he has wings that are kind of bat-like. Um, gems on his chest. He does have arms and legs. Yeah, he's got two legs, two arms, two wings. Uh, the smog that was drawn by Tolkien had four legs and two wings, so it's in some ways closer than... Uh, some of the smog designs. Uh, three survived the dragon attack. Um, there was a watchman who had slept when the dragon came creeping. Um, Thorin Oakenshield, a general of the garrison of Dale, and Princess Mika... Did you catch what his, her last name was? Because it sounded like... Alabama, but then uh, you said it was something else. Um, Milo Milovana. Milovana, that's it. And General Oakenshield says only the wizard Gandalf can help them now, and they go to Gandalf the Grey's Lonely Tower. Now, now, Mika's been referred to as a child and as a princess, so she was young. Does... She had golden hair. 
Do you think that Thorin was still a dwarf in this? Because he looked about the same height as the princess and the. He was taller than the princess. I'm not sure he's a dwarf. He certainly. I don't think he was drawn as a dwarf, even if he was a dwarf. And Gandalf is significantly taller than any of them. And you can see runes on the walls inside of Gandalf's tower, and they look. Like the dwarf runes from the book, I didn't bother to try to read them to see what they said, um, because I can't read them off the top of my head. I would have to actually go and look at a key to that sort of thing to translate them. Yeah. And Gandalf has a great book that says, Slag rests on the treasure in the Lonely Mountain. The time has come, the time of the Hobbit... And there's a picture of the Hobbit in his book. Um, next, they show the Shire and Bag End, which uh, look pretty. And there's Bilbo in his uh, little house, and it shows his grandfather in a picture on the wall, standing on a dragon. And Bilbo is reading a book called Hobbit and Garden. Yeah, I noticed that. Yes. And Gandalf tells a totally astonished-looking Bilbo that he is the chosen dragon killer. And he's got a map showing the Barrier Mountains, Mirkwood Forest, and the poisonous desolation of Slag. And this map is in a series of concentric circles um, radiating outward from... Like a bullseye. The mountains, so yeah, it's a bullseye. First you go through the mountains, then you go through the forest, then you go through the desolation, and there's the mountain. And uh, he says it is written in the prophecies, we can't go without you. And then he's like, then don't go at all, leave that old dragon be. And the princess Mika is furious. She says the dragon killed her father and took her kingdom, and he may strike other lands, possibly even the Shire. And if the others are afraid to go, she will go on alone. And Bilbo says she's only a child and she can't face the dragon alone. And uh, Gandalf tells Bilbo he can start first thing in the morning. Now about that, uh, the dragon might strike other lands. I mean, that does not come up in the book The Hobbit. But in another of... um, Tolkien's writings... um, I want to say it's uh, The Quest for Erebor, yeah. which was one of the published after he passed by his son. Mm-hmm. Um, Gandalf does have in mind that um, if Sauron comes to power, he might enlist Smog to strike other lands, like possibly Rivendell. Right. Now, whether Smog would have actually gone along with this, who knows? But um, that is apparently Gandalf's actual main motivation for. Um, getting Thorn involved to go get rid of him as he might strike other lands. Yeah. Um, the travel starts through the mountains and Gandalf is... Uh, they're not getting as much food as they'd want while they're traveling. Um, they're actually starving at this point. And Gandalf watches from a distance... Um, Groans, not trolls, groans, they, and another thing that's been changed, right. um, have crushed a cabin and they are roasting a sheep. The At, sheep is fully wooled 
It looks like it's not injured, actually, though it's on the spit. And the crones look like trees, more ant-like than troll-like. Exactly. Yes, and it says that people meat is their favorite. That they turn to dry trees if they go in the sun. Now, it almost yeah, seems big like fingers, branch nose. It almost uh, on their head yeah. Heads. It almost seems like maybe they wanted to do ant- he wanted to do ants, but ants aren't in the Hobbit, so um, made the trolls more ant-like. Yeah. Um. I will say it's actually part of um, Tolkien lore that trolls were created in a sort of mockery or copying of the ants. Mm-hmm. Um. Even though they're not otherwise related, trolls are stone, ants are trees. Right. But you almost think, like, if he wanted to put in ants, wouldn't he have made them a more positive sort of character and maybe put them in a, a forest? Like, put them in Mirkwood or something? I don't know that any ants actually do live in Mirkwood, but. But another thing we have to remember is this production. is 12 minutes. And rushed. Yes. He was. Basically, they need to make this on an extremely low budget with very little time. Um, So, uh, I mean, that's the reason for it. Um, They had... um, There was a proposed deal with 20th Century Fox that fell through. This podcast is going to be much longer than the film itself. (laughs) It already is. (laughs) Anyhow, so Snyder had asked Deitch to make it quick and cheap. So, you know, they had initially thought of something, a much bigger deal with 20th Century Fox, but that it didn't happen. Now, Bilbo is starving, and he smells the lamb, and he jumps for joy, which is shown by just, like, zooming in and out on Bilbo, and he's got this expression on his face. It looks pretty comical. Yeah. (laughs) And the others are even bigger and hungrier and knock him spinning as they rush to get into the hollow log. No, no, they are rushing to get to the sheep, sheep, and he gets knocked spinning into the hollow log. Right. And the others are captured by the groans and tied to the roasting spit. And they're arguing about um, the cooking. One of them says that the lamb is burnt. Yes. Even though it looks raw. Well, yeah, the evidence from the artwork is not the case. But um, Bilbo starts imitating the voices of the groans and keeps them arguing until the sun comes up. And the groans are turned back into dry trees. Permanently. And, but one thing we do need to take note on is, you know, the princess and the watchman, you know, who are on the spit, um, they actually get knocked, the whole spit gets knocked away from the fire by the groans in their arguing and fighting. 
So they're they're not continuing to be cooked during some of this fight. So this fairly closely followed what happened in the book, but you know it was Gandalf that kept them arguing. They turn into stone instead of trees, and the part where they go into the cave and find the swords is completely omitted. Mm-hmm. Um, next, as they're continuing through the mountains, Bilbo falls into a hole. And he falls a long way past various like gray creatures with big eyes. They look a lot like the seaweed um, victims of Ursula from The Little Mermaid to me. And these are called grablins that kill and eat only for spite. He just falls past them, and he comes to the cave of Galum, who has the one ring of power which Gandalf seeks. Um, Gollum, who is clearly Gollum, right. he looks weird and kind of spidery looking in the drawing. Yeah. Um, Bilbo finds the ring. It actually kind of just slips onto his finger. Right. And he does a mighty jump to shore, and he runs up the tunnel following Galoom to the way out, bypassing the Grablins. Um, the incident with the wargs is um, totally omitted, and the eagles, um, they also totally omit beyond the um, bear skin changer. And they get to Mirkwood, which has a lot of, like, plants, mushrooms, spider webs. They never have the actual incident with the spiders capturing them. Um, It has poisonous mists and vegetation. And this is another thing I think that the Peter Jackson films might have looked back toward. Because... Okay, yes, there were fungi in the books, but there's a lot of fungi in this. Right. And there's no mention of poisonous mists or vegetation in the book, but the film, the live-action one, has mushroom spores making the air heavy with illusion and making the dwarves and Bilbo see things that aren't there and act pretty out of it. Yeah. So I think there may have been a bit of inspiration from this, even though it's not nearly detailed enough to have that going on. Right. It just says the mists and the vegetation are poisonous, and there's no word on how that uh, affects them. Mm-hmm. They get to the Lonely Mountain, and Slag is asl- asleep inside a jewel mine. And Bilbo goes in, and he finds the Arkenstone and does the quote-unquote bravest thing he has done. Maybe it is the power of the ring, which is uh, an interesting suggestion. Yeah. And maybe his growing love for the Princess Mika. Didn't he just call her a child a few minutes ago? Um, child bride. <laughs> I feel like that part maybe wasn't thought through because this isn't really that kind of story. But maybe because he knew someone had to do it, so he climbs the diamond vest of the slumbering dragon and he steals the Arkenstone. And together with the others, they fashion a powerful, huge, and I mean bigger than any of them put together, crossbow from old mining tools. This crossbow actually requires the three of them to work it. And they put the Arkenstone on as the arrowhead. And... They shoot 
Smaug with this, and he fall. Sorry, slag. Slag, yeah. Um, and he falls with a weird uh, screeching sound. Oh. Oh, once again, this is a departure from the book where it's Bard the Bowman with a perfectly ordinary bow and an arrow that's sentimental value rather than particularly powerful. Taking down the dragon, this they made up a whole... I think at that size, it's more of a scorpion bolt. Right. Which, yes, the Peter Jackson film, they have these scorpion bolts that they are shooting at Smog and uh-huh. yes they in the end have that weird thing where they're shooting us one of the bolts like off of his son's shoulder um none of that in this I'm referring to the Peter Jackson film right So, the city of Dale is restored, and Bilbo and Mika reign together. It doesn't say they got married, but I think it's implied that they did. They They are married. But eventually they do return to the Shire, until the next time Gandalf... The Grey comes knocking on the round wee door. Oh my god, the round queen door. Um, Either way. Can you imagine Bilbo married to a human? You crazy giantess, do not touch my dishes! But she's a princess, she, she probably doesn't do dishes. Uh. No, Bilbo probably takes care of that, who knows. Again, princesses who say, I'm going to go do it myself if you guys aren't going to help me. She's not your average princess. <laughs> um, do you have anything more to... Uh, say about this? Well, I found it interesting. Um, I, it shows you that really anybody can make a film. Uh, yes, these were professionals, but how they did it was more like an amateur and but it it still went over okay um i don't think it necessarily would have won any awards but uh they were creative to throw together something with almost no money and no time most of the work involved, I think, was the art. So, now, Adolf Born was cinematography. Now, that doesn't say necessarily he did the artwork or drawings. He just was in charge of that. So, I don't know who did the drawings. That would be interesting to find that out if you could, but... Uh, Anyhow, and and the cast, Herbert Lass, he was really the narrator. Um, but, uh, and it should be noted that Herbert Lass 
This is the only thing he's credited for in the industry, is narrating this. So this might be the only thing he's done. I, I imagine that's the case. Um... And he was 56 when he did it. So, uh, I guess that's about all um, I have to say. Yeah, go uh, go look it up on YouTube, The Hobbit 1966. And uh, I hope you're enjoying this um, series of going through the different adaptations. I think uh, the next one we'll be doing um, of the adaptations is... The live-action Russian The Hobbit, which um, might take longer to put together. It's a full-length film. It's a bit over an hour, and neither of us speaks Russian, but there is a subtitled version. So we'll be looking for that and uh, reporting back to you later. Thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire podcast, and have a good day. Bye.